Well, good morning, Bethel, and uh, looking forward to our time around God's Word here together to learn and to be encouraged and strengthened. Uh, let us bow our, our hearts from our homes uh, together before the Lord and just invite Him to lead us and guide us right now. Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we come to your word right now to learn and hear from you, we ask that your will would be done even here and now. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to imagine a little scenario with me here. Okay, so imagine in the midst of all the cold and winter and everything we are enduring through right now, that, that you decide to go on a little vacation. You decide to, to go on a little vacation to somewhere warm, somewhere where you can, you know, get into a short sleeve and feel the warmth of the sun on your skin rather than that biting wind, somewhere where you can stick your toes in some nice warm sand or maybe even go and walk into the ocean and the warmth of some waves. And so you you book this whole trip and all this kind of stuff and you get it all ready. But but if you've ever flown out of Pearson, you, you know in Toronto that that the, the price to have your car stay there parked while you're away on your trip is just like astronomically crazy, right? So you manage to enlist a dear friend of yours to give you a ride into the airport and then promise is going to come and pick you up and drive you home. So, so your friend picks you up, drives you to the airport very graciously, get on the plane, go on your trip, have a wonderful time. You're sad, but it's time to come home. You get on the plane, you come back home, you get to Pearson, you come through the arrivals doors, and then you're expecting to walk out and find your friend there waiting to whisk you home in the car so you can head back home. Except when you walk through those sliding doors in the arrivals and you look around at the crowd, your friend is nowhere to be found. Well, you, you, you kind of check your phone and see, you know, how your arrival time was and double check that you'd sent the text message with the right time. And yeah, that's okay. So, okay, well, maybe they're running just a couple minutes behind. And so you just kind of sit down and, and wait for 5, 10, 15 minutes and they're still not there. So, so you now start sending a text. Hey, just checking in, just making sure everything's okay. Don't know if you're stuck in traffic on the 401 or what's going on. And you don't get a response. Well, you wait another 15 minutes, turns to 30 minutes, and, and now you decide, well, I'm going to try calling them. And you call, and you leave a message, and you get no answer. You call again, and you get no answer. You call again, and you get no answer. And now you're starting to pace around and walk around and wondering, and 15 minutes has turned to 30 minutes, has turned to an hour, has turned to two hours. And at this point, when you have now been waiting in the airport for two hours, hours for your friend who said they were going to be there to pick you up and drive you home. What sort of thoughts are going through your head at that moment? Let's make sure they're, they're civil here, okay? But, but you start thinking and wondering questions like, you know, where are they? What is going on? Did they, did they forget that they were supposed to pick me up? They told me they were going to be here. Why have they just left me here high and dry? Do they have any idea how frustrating this is? Why aren't they here? 
Over the last couple of weeks, we've dived back into our teaching series in the book of Romans. And this, this letter that we call Romans is just a marvelous part of God's word that is so full of so much wonderful encouragement and truth for us. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, originally led by the Holy Spirit. He wrote this letter to this group of Christians in Rome in the ancient city of Rome, almost 2,000 years ago. And, and Paul had never met most of the people in Rome. He'd never visited there, but he longed so much to come and visit them on one of his missionary trips on the way through. And, and he really just yearned to want to write to strengthen these Christians. That's really what the whole book of Romans is all about. Writing to these Christians to introduce himself and to strengthen them in the faith. And as we have seen, as we've been walking through this letter to do that, he's been laying out the kind of his, his, his good news message of the gospel that he goes around and proclaims. He's been walking through and, and telling them about this amazing gospel news that, that God created all of us to know God, but, but we have in our irreligious pursuits of passion and our self-righteous pursuits of religion in both ways have gone woefully astray because of the poison of sin in our lives and in our world. We sit under the, the guilty verdict of God because we're sinners. But that's why God sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus came to justify us, to make us right with God. Jesus came, and this has been God's plan for all of history, to orchestrate a way for him to come and rescue sinful men, broken men and women, just like you and I, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But then we've seen that, that although that is true, and when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are absolutely definitively saved because of all that Jesus has done. In these last couple of weeks, we've seen that there is this inner war that is going on because, because we live in a world that is not yet rescued. Yes, Jesus has come into the world and he has died on the cross to save us for our sins and he has completely done everything that we need. And yet we wait right now for the fulfillment of all that Jesus has done. The, the working out of Jesus' salvation in all of creation. We, we long and we groan and we wrestle with this inner battle waiting for God. And often, our waiting is a lot like that scenario at the airport. We start to have a lot of those same thoughts that go through our heads when we find ourselves here and now in the midst of this waiting. We start looking at our watches and sending messages up to God in the midst of the struggles and we start to wrestle with God. Don't you know what I'm going through? God, did you forget that I'm sitting here? Where are you, God? Why aren't you picking up? Where have you been? It happens maybe in the midst of that struggle where it's like, my kid is not coming back to the Lord. Where are you, God? Why aren't you bringing them back to you? Maybe it's the, why won't you make this temptation just go away? Why am I still in the midst of this struggle? Maybe it's my body hurts so bad. It's so broken and there's so much pain. Why won't you just 
release it. Has God forgotten us when we're in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the brokenness, wondering? Is, has God ignoring us? Has God just, is he not strong enough to help us or does he just not care? Our passage today, it's like the reassuring hand of a parent taking hold of a child as you're preparing to walk across the busy street. Our passage is like, like here, God's like, let me take your hand and reassure you today in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the brokenness and the struggle in which we wait. Let me comfort you. And what it says, it leads us towards is this. I am convinced that absolutely nothing can separate me from God's love. That's the big idea of our text here today. That's what I'm praying God will really lead us towards here today. So that as we walk out of this morning, and the consideration of God's word, by his grace, it would be like a hand taking alongside and saying, even though I am waiting, even though there is the struggle, even though these questions come to mind, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. How can you be convinced of this today? Well, let me show you the first point that starts in verse 25. The reassuring words, glorious truth of God, it says this, God finishes what he starts. Jot that down today, friends. That is so comforting for our souls in the midst of the waiting and the struggles. God finishes what he starts. Verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Notice in these verses, three things here. First, in these verses, do, we, do you notice that, that these are speaking of those who know Jesus. It's not talking about everyone, everywhere. It's talking about those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is to say, if we trace our way back through where we've been in this book of Romans, that is to say those who, chapter 3, verse 24, are justified freely by his grace through the reception of, uh, that came by Christ Jesus is using that language. That is to say, it's those who have been justified through faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to use the language of chapter 5, verse 1. That is to say, those who died to the law through the body of Christ, to use the language of chapter 7, verse 4. Or to use the, the language of our chapter just last week, from chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no guilt, no accusation, no shame over those because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit has set them free from the law of sin and death. These are the men and women who this passage is talking about. All these different verses there throughout are talking about one same collective group. It is those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so today, if you have done that already, or if on this very day you put your trust in Jesus, you look to him as your Lord and your Savior, you say, I believe you died on the cross for me and I live, give my life to you, then these words are speaking to and about you. All these different verses are talking about the fact that God is at work in those who have given their lives to Jesus. God has started a work in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, in your life. And God is working all things in your life for a purpose, with intention. Here's the second thing we see. Do you see the goodness of God here? Dear brothers and sisters, you, you know, you, you know God is good, right? I love Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion on all that he has made. At his very being, his essence, his nature, God is good. In all that he does, God is good. All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. And the work he is doing in your life, brother or sister in Christ, is good. Verse 28, let me read it again for us. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All that he is doing in your life is good. It is for your good. Now, at times, we may not feel like it's good. I, it reminds me of being a parent, you know, and you, you, you make a decision that your child doesn't really like, and they're like, Dad, you're so mean. Why are you not letting me do this, go there, be with this person, whatever? You don't understand. This is so unfair. And, and as a parent, you want to be like, you know what? I, I understand what you're feeling right now, but you need to trust that, that I know things you don't know, sweetie. And I, I, am, I am making this decision because I love you and I know things that you don't know and it's for your good. See, see, for us, sometimes we are just like those children where it's like, God, I don't understand. I've been waiting here for so long. I don't get it. Why are you avoiding me? Have you ditched me? Do you not care about me? How come you're not answering? Where are you, God? And it can feel like we're sitting in the airport all alone and we've been abandoned. But our God is like, you know what? I, I know you might not see it right now, but I am good and I am working for your good. And then third, here's what I want you to see in these first couple of verses. I want you to notice the chain of logic that Paul puts together here, friends. I think it was John Piper who I first heard describe these verses as an unbreakable chain. Let me read verse 29 and 30 for us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
we see here this, this chain of salvation that's got five sort of links in it. You see the five links there? Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Okay? Those are the five links. Next chapter, we're going to dive into all of these a lot more in chapter 9. So we'll come back next week to, to really dig into all of these. There's so much that is here. But just at a high level, in brief, when it speaks of those whom God foreknew, it's talking about, remember, God is outside of time. He, is, he sees all things as they are happening as if right now, and they all remain under his eyes at all, every present moment. Speaking of God's knowledge, because he's outside of time, it speaks of him predestined, that is God's determining before time, ahead of time. It speaks of calling, that's this sense of giving a divine, um, come here, <laughs> decree, you need to listen, edict, speaks of justification. We've talked about that lots in previous chapters, being made right or righteous. It speaks of glorification. That is our perfection and resurrection and being perfect in glory with God forever. And so again, there's much that could be said about each of these concepts. But here's what I want you to notice at this point. Notice these five links in this chain in a person's life as it talks about salvation happening in the life of those whom God works in. And it's an unbreakable chain. Is, is there any crack between any of these five links that you see in here? When you look at our text, is there any spot where it's like, oh yeah, someone can kind of like, you know, squeak out of the path there? Oh, there's a kink in there. There's a hole in that spot. No, absolutely not. It is completely locked together. Those whom God foreknew are predestined. And all those same people are also called. And all those same people who are called are justified. All those whom are justified will be glorified. Here's the point, dear friends. If you are in Jesus Christ... God in his goodness is at work in your life and what God finishes starts, he always finishes. What God starts, he always finishes, friends. Our perception is that we're sitting in the airport waiting in the midst of struggles, in the midst of hardships, with our faith in Jesus assured that he's going to come get us, but like, where are you, God? What is going on? Have you just forgotten me? Asking questions, struggling. But let this first marvelously wonderful truth take your hand and reassure you as you walk across that busy street. God is not distant. He has not forgotten you. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one, nothing can be against us because God finishes what he starts. Here's the second reassurance that we see come out of God's word. God will give you all things. God will give you 
all things. Listen to these words for all who are in Jesus Christ. They're incredible. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In the waiting, it feels like we start thinking, what's the deal, God? Where are you, God? Why are you not responding? Why are you leaving here? Are you ignoring me? Have you neglected me? Do you not care? But look at the flow of thought here in our text. God gave up his son for us all. When Jesus left heaven and came here to earth, Jesus came on a rescue mission that that God the Father and God the Son had planned out before the foundation of the world. And it involved Jesus coming here with this express purpose, to die. The rescue mission of God from all of eternity past has been always known that Jesus was coming to lay down his life. It was a mission that was going to cost him everything. I wonder if you've ever heard of a group called the Moravians. You ever heard of the Moravians? Probably probably not. They were actually the very first Protestant denomination. Many maybe think if you know a little bit about church history that, you know, like Martin Luther was the one who kind of started the Protestant movement and Lutherism was the first denomination, but actually it was the Moravians who were the very first Protestant denomination. In 1727, a couple hundred years after the Moravians started, a group of, it was about 12 to 14 Moravians gathered together in this one town in Europe to begin praying. And and the Holy Spirit came upon these folks, like straight out of the book of Acts kind of scenario, okay? The Holy Spirit comes upon them as they're praying. And this prayer meeting leaked all the way, not just all the way into the evening and and to midnight, but it actually they prayed throughout the entire night, A couple days later, a bunch more of them gathered back together and the Spirit of God came upon them so powerfully that they began praying and they started praying and and they felt so convicted by the Lord to pray that they began to commit to have 24 men and 24 women every hour praying, 24 hours a day. And this went on, this unceasing, unending prayer meeting for a hundred years, a hundred years of unstopped prayer where there was at least 24 men and 24 women praying every single hour. Unbelievable. And one of the outflows of this hundred year prayer meeting, this never stopping 24 hour prayer meeting was this unbelievable missionary movement. Hundreds Hundreds and hundreds of Moravians went out into the world to share the good news of the gospel all around the nations. And one of the things that the Moravian missionaries became famous for was when they got on boats to go to far off nations and peoples to bring the good news of the gospel. Do you know what they packed their belongings in? They packed all their stuff in a coffin and got on the boat. Because they were so committed to bringing the good news of Jesus to these people far away that they were bringing their coffin with them to die in the place that they were going to go and reach with the good news of Jesus. 
And that zeal of the Moravians, willing to go on a mission to bring hope, came from our very Lord and Savior, who was the pinnacle example of that, who left heaven to come to earth, giving up everything to die for us, for us all. There's this song that I've grown super fond of in the, the last little season here. It's got this one lyric. I love it. He lived to die. He died to rise. Our all-sufficient sacrifice. Jesus came living to die and he died for the purpose of rising so that we could be made whole. God gave his son. Jesus came to earth with this plan to lay down his life for us. That's what it says. He did, he did this for us all. Can, can you possibly imagine a greater display of God's love and for you-ness than he gave his son for you and for I? His eternal, perfect, holy son, he did not even spare his own son, that verse said. I know the waiting for a prayer to be answered can feel like it goes on for eternity. I, I know the, the waiting to be vindicated when accusations have come against you that you know are false and that you're just being dragged through the mud and you're like, I've done nothing wrong. When am I finally going to be shown to be in the right, but it just keeps dragging on. I know how arduous that can be. I know the waiting to, when you've offered forgiveness to someone and you're praying that their heart would soften and yet they remain bitter and angry and jaded and nasty towards you and how long it can feel like that's just going on and on and where are you and in the waiting I know you cry out you groan out and you wonder why aren't you helping me God don't you care but what we see here in God's word is oh you can know friend that God cares for you you can know friend that God is not distant or indifferent to you how do you know because he sent his son for you. He didn't spare his own son for you. He will give you all things. He'll give you all things. He didn't spare his son. It brings to mind Ephesians 1 verse 3 where it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, do you see it there? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. God is not withholding anything from you. For all who are in Christ, God is going to give every spiritual blessing. He did not withhold his own son. How much more can we know that he's going to give us all things in Christ? Be convinced of this, dear brothers and sisters today. Let the reassuring hand of Almighty God through His Scriptures take hold of your hand and let you see and be convinced that He is for you. Third and finally here in our text, listen to these words of reassurance. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? 
It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know that at this very moment, Jesus is interceding for you? Like from your home right now. Right in this very moment, you can say, Jesus is right now interceding for me if you are a follower of his. I shared a story last week about a friend of mine who adopted a little girl, a baby, who was just horribly wounded and and hurt as a result of um, parents who were struggling with drug addiction And, and how my friend and his wife stepped in for this little baby to become her foster parents and then her adoptive parents and to be a voice for this precious, wounded, damaged baby girl who'd been so sadly and heartbrokenly neglected. They stepped in the gap to be a voice for her who had no voice. They stepped in the gap to advocate for this baby when this baby could not speak for itself. This is the second time now We are seeing in this one chapter, in chapter 8, this concept of God being an advocate for us, interceding on behalf of us. Let me read that verse again for us. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, after Jesus on that rescue mission came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried in the ground. Three days later, he was miraculously raised to life, resurrected to life. He spent 40 days with his disciples, proving that he was alive. You know, touch my hands and feet. See, I'm eating food. Proving to them I'm really raised to life for real, miraculous, profound. And then he ascended into heaven and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And what it says there is that as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, He is speaking up for you and for me. He's advocating for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And remember what we saw last week. He's still on your page there. You just glance up a couple of verses. Chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So our our God, the Almighty God of the universe, who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, is right now showing his care for you in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the wrestling, in the midst of the wondering, where are you? God, right now, that God in heaven has orchestrated a plan such that the Father is listening to the Spirit and the Son speaking to Him on your behalf at this very moment for the needs that are going on in your life. 
And God, the infinite God of all of the universe, somehow at this very moment is having a conversation in heaven between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, interceding, caring, speaking about you and your well-being and your needs and what is good for you. And he is infinitely doing that for all the people in all the world that are his right now at this exact same moment, all at the same time. It's mind-blowing. And yet imagine how beautiful that is. That God's purpose and way of working out this whole salvation plan involves his care so personally, so intimately, that all the time he's speaking for you. It's mind-blowing. And it just leads us to this response of praise, does it not? It leads us to these words, right? They're just the outflow of verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep as being led to the slaughter. It feels like we are walking through this life in the waiting, in the groaning, in the calling out, in the pains of childbirth, in the, the like, where are you, God? I need your help. I'm waiting. Why aren't you here yet? What's going on? It feels like we're just dying all the time. But no. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are not just barely getting through, dear brothers and sisters. We are not just scratching by by the seat of our pants. Our God is the good God who finishes what he starts. Our God is the God who lavishes all things upon us through his son, Jesus Christ, who gave him up for us. Our God is the God who is eternally interceding on behalf of us. And so I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced?